0: This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts.
1: This is the American Toffee Podcast. Your source for stateside views on Everton Football Club. Hosted by Alex Johnson and James
0: Boyman. Welcome back, everybody, to the American Toffee Podcast. Immediately following Everton's 3-1 win versus Crystal Palace at Goodison Park, James here, joined by Alex. The European Blues. Let's go up to seventh place. After... Three points at Goodison today. Alex, just give us your initial thoughts on the match. A good match, a very, very
1: good match. So I thought that we controlled the match for the first good bit, and obviously that was rewarded by what I thought was a really beautiful team goal. It was worked well. I mean, Morgan Schneiderlin started it off. It was worked well on the right hand side uh, between Sigurdsson and then Walcott kind of took it around the flank. With a lovely finish or a lovely cross into the box and finish from Bernard. So that really kind of set things off. And you know, from the beginning, I think that was about 15 minutes in, you know, from the beginning that the game is going to open up because Crystal Palace gets nothing from continuing to essentially just absorb pressure. And so, you know, we caught we kind of saw ebbs and flows. It got really chippy, scrappy, um, very physical battle. I think that. I saw a lot of energy and desire. You saw some bite in the tackle from quite a few of the players, which we know Evertonians love to see. Um, I think the scoreline is a little bit gracious towards us because Benteke was a nuisance the entire match. However, still deserved, and as they always say, good teams find a way to win.
0: Absolutely agree. It's a great win for Everton puts us up into seventh place. And I think, you know, going into the match, you know, our pre match, we didn't predict too many changes to the lineup, but Carlo elected for four changes. Um, Something that he's done traditionally at a lot of his other clubs is really emphasize squad rotation to keep fresh legs. And so with that said, bringing Bernard back into the team bringing Schneiderlin into the midfield, choosing to go with James Coleman at right back over Jabril Sidibe. And then Michael Keane returning to the side over Mason Holgate, probably the most controversial of the changes given Holgate's recent form. But he had an all right game. I think by and large, you know, this was a dominant performance. Um, like you said, a little bit of a back and forth, a little bit chippy at times. Their midfield was uh, really intent on, you know, mucking up mucking it up and making things really difficult for us in those areas but i thought that by and large our movement with the ball was excellent moving it back and forth to either flank but you know under marco silva there was a lot of just moving it back and forth between the center backs and no real intent what i saw today was we would move it with purpose in that we'd move it to the left and really try to get something going down that left hand flank with with purpose and then if it didn't come off we would switch and try the same thing on the right hand side. And it paid dividends early on with that, like you said, really, really well worked goal from Sigurdsson, from Theo Walcott, from, yeah, Morgan Schneiderlin as well, Seamus Coleman getting involved. And in, I mean, an unbelievable cross from Walcott and a really, really tough finish for Bernard. He struck it really well, exactly how he needed to. And, and we're away and flying at 1 0, 20 minutes in. It was a great, great start to the match for sure.
1: Yeah. And, and you know what, Ancelotti, we've talked about it before on, on the podcast, right? Ancelotti mentioned immediately when he came in that he wanted to see the ball moved forward quicker, right? That is how you create more space in attack, which is, I I think, one of our biggest issues under Marco Silva. But along with that, he went on to continue and say that you need to do that, but with purpose, right? It's about finding a nice balance between retaining possession, but also taking slight risks here and there to move the ball up the pitch. And so, as you said, I think that In this match, although it wasn't perfect, we we should have had more possession than we did. Um, I think, in terms of how we executed, I feel like they they started to find that balance a little bit more, and 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 you could tell that they were a little bit more methodical than they were maybe a couple weeks ago when we really saw them kind of pinging the ball around, um, making a little a little bit more more a couple more mistakes. But I think here tactically, here's why Crystal Palace kind of started getting back into the game. What they did was they started to kind of crowd out. Um, and overload the pitch on the flanks, right? And we know that with this 4-4-2, especially, especially with only two midfielders and immobile, to say the least, in Sigurdsson and, and Schneiderlin, we w- we are going to work the ball on the outside and use the inverted wingers to kind of try to link up with maybe the central midfield, the overlapping fullback and the striker. While well, Crystal Palace overloaded those areas and tried to force us kind of in the middle. But what they also did was they used their forwards to press our back line. And so essentially... You didn't see us hoofing the ball to Calvert-Lewin in those instances. We were trying to kind of be a little more patient and slot a ball forward and see um, what players could do with it. I thought, in general, Morgan Schneiderlin had a really good game, and he helped in this instance because I I saw a couple really uh, good moments from him in terms of showing for the ball when everyone around him is under pressure, including himself, and you know, he would take it on the turn and and try to find the most intelligent pass possible. So kudos to him. Um, I thought Crystal Palace had a good game plan and executed it well, which is why, you know, we started to to tail off with possession in the end. But again, Richarlison with a beautiful counterattack to get us back on top. And and it was it was not the best performance, as Carlos said in his post-match, but it was still well ex- executed. I think the players are taking more and more from what he's saying week to week. And uh, I think all of us should be happy with the result.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's worth noting that, that it's not a very good Crystal Palace side. Today was actually the oldest uh, oldest side that Crystal Palace has ever fielded in the Premier League. Their average age over 30 is Wilfred Zaha at 27 years old, the youngest player in that side. Um, so they've got their own problems to deal with without question. But as far as Everton is concerned, you know, some really positive play. I mean, it's, it's unfortunate that Theo Walcott was forced to be removed through injury early on because, of course, you know, capitalizing off the back of his winner against Watford. He then gets an assist very early on in the match and looked to pose a lot of problems to Patrick Van onhold on the flank of Crystal Palace. Instead, we end up he ends up coming off in Jabril's one-sock Sidibe, as he's going to be dubbed from here on out, uh, comes in and to try to kind of shore up that flank. An interesting substitution, but not unprecedented, as we've seen Carlo utilize both right-backs Uh, On that right flank, before I thought, you know, deserved shout out to Seamus Coleman. We talked about midweek. Ryan specifically mentioned that Coleman might come back in. I personally thought that he would stick with Sidibe at right back, but credit to Coleman today showed, you know, why Carlos selected him was really effective at neutralizing Wilfred Zaha, who is a really good player. Didn't have his best game, but I think I think Everton deserve a lot of credit for that because we really prevented him from being able to get involved. Um, Richarlison, like you mentioned, Alex, unbelievable solo goal on the break. I mean, the kid is something special at 22 years old, only going to improve, and he's already pretty darn good as it is. But um, I did want to talk really quickly about the goal that we conceded because it's Jordan Pickford um, entirely on him. That's a save that every keeper in the Premier League should make 100% of the time. It's really bizarre how it even gets through. You know, you texted me right after he scored and was like, what just happened? I thought the same thing. It looked like he hit it right at him and it was in the back of the net. And I was like, did he get nutmegged? What exactly happened? And it looked like he just wasn't able to drop quickly enough to to prevent the goal from entering the back of the net. And I actually saw on Twitter, I believe it was Matt Cheatham. um, At that time, obviously Pickford came up with a couple really nice saves later on in the match. But at that time, that had been five consecutive shots on target that had resulted in goals for the opposition. So, I mean, I think our recent performances have maybe given Pickford a little bit of cover, but it's worth noting that he has been not poor exactly, but he hasn't been up to the standard that we've come to expect from him over the last month or so, I would say.
1: Okay, first of all, you stole my stat because I had that one queued (laughs) up and I'm kind of hurt you also saw it. So stay off Twitter, James. That that was the only thing I had to add to that conversation other than opinion. But uh, I think... I think that's pretty telling. Another um, another Twitter account here. I'll throw something else at you, James. Another Twitter account simply said, "You cannot look at Jordan Pickford in current form and say that he is England's number one." I agree with that. Do I think that you know the likes of Dean Henderson from Sheffield United are really starting quality for England? You know, as opposed to just being in good form. I don't know, but I do think that this is surely the lowest we've seen in terms of performance from Pickford because although he had a mistake in him here or there and and he is a young keeper he's young for a keeper right now it's it's just been mistake after mistake after mistake it just feels like he's almost not even focused uh so it's unfortunate i think that we're going to see a lot of fans with pitchforks out about Pickford even though we won and even though we're sitting in 7th place i think he needs to step it up um we did just send lasso back over to uh Huddersfield i believe on loan for the rest of the season so the only uh keepers we have left are Steck and. In Chow, Virginia.
0: Yeah. And just another thing on Pickford, you know, the, the fact that he's not saving goals is not good. <laughs> Obviously not good. That goes without saying, but I think it, it's reflective, you know, generally when we think about Jordan Pickford, that has been kind of his strength is being able to pull out these miraculous saves that in his distribution, because he continues to look really, really shaky when anytime he has to come for the ball, come out of his, come out of his box and try to try to capture balls in the air. Obviously the height plays a factor there, but there were numerous moments early on in the second half in particular where he just looks really uncertain about whether he can get up for a ball. Um so the confidence may be playing a slight factor at the moment, but you know, it, it's we're fortunate that Richarlison kind of bailed him out with that with that counterattack goal because had this resulted in a one one draw, I think you're right, Alex, the pitchforks would would definitely definitely have been out. Now we're left with a three-one win, and it's kind of much like the sock incident. Um, you know, we can just kind of forget about it and not worry about it because we were able to pick up the three points in spite of it all.
1: Right. So let's talk about let's talk about Ancelotti's substitutions real quick because I think that there was obviously it was it was really unfortunate that Walcott came off injured in the first half and CDB came on. Right. As you said, Walcott had a goal last week to seal the victory. He had the assist to open open. Uh, His open the team's account this weekend against Crystal Palace, which as we know, that's, you know, that can be just important as it is to seal a victory because it changes the entire complexity of the match. But Sidibe came on and I don't think any of us were surprised by that. And Ancelotti said in his post match that, you know, Sidibe, we don't have anyone in the squad that can replace Walcott in the same way, specifically because he's an actual right winger, I think. And, and, Although he does have his critics for finishing, he always gets himself in good positions, works well. I think he's a he's a decent like defensive winger in in terms of work rate and positioning. So we saw Sidibe came on, and I thought that was a good a good shout. And, and it makes sense, right? Because Zaha was still playing on that side. Coleman was pretty much strapping him at that point, but it offered some defensive cover. And then Tom Davies came on for Bernard, and we ended up shifting to more of like a four-five-one, right? Where we've seen actually Tom Davies start a game at that left midfield position in a 4 4 2, and it was awful. The commentators said, Oh, here comes Davy. It looks like it's a like for like. And I'm sitting there thinking, I guess Carlo knows what he's talking about. But in reality, what happened was Richarlison shifted to the left, and Tom Davies was at uh, essentially attacking midfielder, which we know he says. And we think, I think most fans think that that is his most comfortable position. And that kind of forced us to drop off a little bit, but. It allowed us to start regaining control of the match, regain possession, right? And and that ended up fostering itself to an environment in which kind of Richarlison solo counterattacked with a really nice goal, a really nice finish. And then lastly, someone we speculated we thought would for sure start, we just didn't know where, Mason Holgate came on, but he came on in central midfield. And the interesting thing is, uh, he came on for Sigurdsson, so he, he sat in the midfield with Schneiderlin and Davies. Believe it or not, Holgate was directed to play... The furthest back, so Schneiderlin was kind of pushed into a box-to-box role at that point. So it's interesting to see how Ancelotti feels about Mason Holgate. And and just my overarching point is, when we would have seen Marco Silva managing this match, right? If we were tied and it would have gone a little bit longer, his answer would have been to throw on two strikers, right? Don't regain control of the match. Don't do this. Don't do that. Just throw on a couple strikers and hope they can nick something in the box. In this case, I felt that it was it was kind of they were they were proactive substitutions. Instead of again just throwing on a defender for the for you know giggles, I can't say the full phrase, James. This is a this is a family podcast. <laughs> Instead, he threw Mason Holgate in the central midfield to regain possession, but it still allows for defensive solidarity. So I, I wanted to point out that the substitutions I think were spot on today, especially with the timing as well, and I'm really impressed by Carlos so far.
0: Yeah, I agree with you, Alex. I think the substitutions, as has been the case with most of what Ancelotti's done, when we're in good positions, he he knows how to see a game out and substitute to reach that goal. Um, the the decision to kind of t- bring Davis on and, and shift to the midfield three was super important because Crystal Palace were kind of threatening at that point. They did look, firstly, you know, had to bring some stability because we were our own worst enemy for the first part of the second half. Uh, really some lazy and bizarre, bizarrely poor passes that were just conceding possession, like in our final third. And, um, you know, for the most part, Ancelotti did a really good job. I think I've seen some criticism, you know, bring on maybe Alex Iwobi instead of Sidibe for, for Walcott. I think that based on what we've seen so far, Alex Iwobi is, is useful, but I, I, I still agree that that's the best substitution in that case on the opposite side. I did think for a moment that Ancelotti was bringing on Davis to to play on that left-hand side and I was a little bit worried that gave me some pause because he just doesn't have the pace to to match up with Jordan Ayew or really any wingers in the in the Premier League but to see him relocate towards the center of the pitch, you know, he showed a lot of work rate, he he ran hard, he made some nice tackles and by and large it really kind of brought the team back to earth and allowed us to see the game out. So again, credit to Carlo Ancelotti. What a difference he's made for this club over the last couple of months a tremendous turnaround in performances And th- the squad more more importantly than anything else look confident again um again we're not we ha- we're not putting together complete 90 minute dominating performances but we're putting in solid 60 70 minutes and you know those lapses are then overshadowed by the overall uh good play from the side
1: right and we also have to remember we're playing a pretty young side right um uh- Keane and Mina are still—I mean—are still arguably they're they're barely middle-aged, right? For a defensive pairing, you have essentially most of our attackers are younger than we are, right? Uh, Dom or Charles and I think are both twenty-two or so. Uh, Holgate, not an attacker, twenty-three. Awobi uh, is just about twenty-three, I think. Obviously, Moise Ken, who we didn't see today, so we still have a young squad with a lot of ability, but it's it's still a, there's still a lot of untapped potential. And, and mind you, the only way to continue to progress mentally and, and learning out how to close matches and, and gaining the confidence just comes with experience. You know, someone like Lucas Dean would have that experience playing with a lot of the top clubs in Europe, but a lot of these other players are not are not the same in that regard. And so, so we've got to build up to it. We've got to kind of continue creating this culture at Everton Football Club in which, uh, you know, our nil Satis Nisi Optimum says, uh, but... In talking about Marco Silva and comparing Carlo Ancelotti real quick, we do sit in seventh place, but I want to put it in perspective. Us, Our match against Crystal Palace was the first match of match week 26. So although we're in seventh place with 36 points, we have Man U and Wolves one point behind us both with a game in hand. Um, coincidentally, we are tied on points with Sheffield United in sixth place, but again, game in hand, and they've got a, a much better goal differential. So... I'm super stoked about it. I know I literally opened up with the European Blues. However, I just want to give a slight word of caution, but let's talk about the records under the two managers, right? This is actually almost borderline appalling, although it's it's fantastic for us. Under Marco Silva this season, we played 15 matches and lost nine of them, ending in 18th place since Marco Silva was fired, so the handful of matches that Duncan Ferguson oversaw and then subsequently Ancelotti we've had 11 matches and we've only lost once now sitting in 7th place if that is a, not a complete 180 I don't know what is
0: for sure it's been a it's been a dramatic turnaround and what I will say is that what was so perplexing about the end of Marco Silva's tenure was or I guess so frustrating more than anything else was the fact that we were playing fairly decently and just couldn't seem to get any results and under Carlo we're playing Again, fairly decently, better for sure, but the results have gone the other way, and I think that that's just a testament to the experience, the calmness of the manager, and just the new, um, I guess, the new life that he's given us under his reign, and and it's so nice to actually look forward to watching Everton again, and I'll admit, when Benteke scored that goal, I mean, classic Everton, I think he hadn't scored in 20-something matches or something along those lines. He puts one in. Sorry. Sorry.
1: Close to it, yeah. yeah. I think it was like eighteen, nineteen, something, long- <laughs> something far too long.
0: So that's the type of thing that we traditionally do, just allow players who are in ice-cold form to get back on track against us. But then to immediately respond and go back into the lead, it's just uh, encapsulates perfectly what Carlos brought to the club. This team no longer folds, although, again, there were brief moments in this match where we could have folded, but, again, didn't. So that's the most important thing to take away. And like you said, Alex, on a really nice win winning streak and avoiding dropping all three points in all but one game and so I think our schedule has been very favorable for us I'll add that as well at this moment Carlo was fortunate enough to come in I think at the right time where we had a a stretch of games where he could really sort of implement his ideas and take advantage of some of the weaker opposition and now we start to head in we've got a week off and then we head uh, to the Emirates to play Arsenal which if rumors are to believe, could be the return of Andre Gomez, which still kind of um, I'm apprehensive to buy into that because it just seems like way too soon. But if everything goes to plan, that could be his return. And if that is the return, then we would then potentially be there for his return to Goodison Park against Manchester United, which is very exciting to think about. So a lot of positives to take away from today, a lot to look forward to as we move into the the remaining months of the season and and I am over the moon and I did want to give you a quick shout out, Alex, because we haven't mentioned it yet. You did predict the scoreline correctly today as many pointed out on Twitter.
1: Ah, uh, Yes. Thank you. I, I, uh, I do enjoy being right. Although it's very rarely ever true.
0: Yes, I agree.
1: <laughs> I, I, <laughs> although I, I do want to mention just about the schedule and talking about the, the rest of the season and prospective matches, um, we've had a very favorable run of fixtures in the last, month or two so really honestly since Carlo Ancelotti came so it's really important that we've built and and been building confidence uh to this point and we've been winning matches specifically at home too because we've got we've got tough tests coming up again it seems like this this season our our schedule is kind of clumped together you know a lot of the top teams all in one go and then a lot of the bottom teams all in one go and then vice versa so it's going to be really important but also really interesting to see how the team kind of pushes on because historically speaking, especially in recent years, we've always played better against the better teams because they allow you more space, right? I think it's going to be interesting to see how we perform. It's going to be imperative that we continue to pick up points, especially away from home, because, you know, we're always going to feel more confident as fans and obviously as, as players at Codison Park and see where we can push it and how far we can push it. Because Ancelotti has said on the record this week, Europe is our target for the season. Uh, any argument from anyone that says that we should not be in Europa League because we're not ready or something else is not a coherent argument, in my opinion. We should be in Europe. We should be aiming for that. And I, I would be really ecstatic at the prospect of doing it.
0: Yep. And we took a big step towards that today, moving up amongst that little mixture of of teams competing for the Europa League. And And what I'll also add on the schedule note, yes, there are some some daunting names, I guess, facing us very soon. But I will also say that Arsenal and Manchester United are not the the names that they once were as far as the intimidation factor. They're both having very off seasons, and so I think they're there for the taking. There's only really one or two teams that I, I genuinely think we will have a a, a true struggle to beat, but. Uh, and I won't name one of them. And the other one being Manchester City, who we've already played. And so I think, you know, it's a really good opportunity. And I just hope that we are able to to continue to, A, stay healthy, because hopefully Theo Walcott's not out long term. Uh, crazy, the the 180 that's happened with Walcott in just two games with the goal and the assist. But I do think that being our only right-sided winger, he'll be useful. So staying healthy is going to be key, but also just maintaining the momentum and not having any kind of, you know, deterrent, like a, a another catastrophic capitulation and just stay the course pick up points where we need to pick up points at home and then try to get you know one at least one point when we go away and with the way that the table's shaping up and the other teams are underperforming there's no reason why we can't achieve europe uh it seems absolutely crazy to be saying that if you had asked me that in december towards the end of marco silva's reign i would have said or we'll be lucky to finish top half but it's just one of those years and it's wide open and it's all there for the taking and i can't wait to see what carlo's able to manage with the rest of the year
1: and let's hope that this is one of the seasons in which we actually actually capitalize on the opportunity too that'll wrap it up for us look out for a midweek show not sure what we'll talk about yet because we have break on the weekend otherwise up the toffees thanks for tuning in to the american toffee podcast
0: Come join our Discord community at invite.gg/atp and follow us on Twitter and Facebook at USA TalkiePod.